Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It's definitely cold, so you know you're in the right place. Uh, and we have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch is with us. Rebecca is the political director at the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Rebecca, good to have you back. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. Good to have you and Robert Craig, executive director here at Citizen Action. He's with us every week. Robert, good to see you. Uh, good day, everyone. So we have a number of things, probably too many topics. We're probably not going to be able to get to all the things we have on our list. But um, we are going to talk about both a mix of review a little bit on uh, the GOP tax scam passing and some of the implications. Robert has some, some excellent uh, points about that. Uh, and a number of things we want to talk about here in Wisconsin related to Walker's policies and the world we live in, and it's appropriate given heading into an election year. So we'll spend a good deal of time on that. We also want to highlight Judge Joe Donald here in Milwaukee, who um, is pushing back against this uh, our culture, our system of mass incarceration, and uh, laying out a different vision. But we'll get more into that later in the show. Let's jump right into talking about the federal issue that's been dominating, and that is, hate to call it a tax scam, a tax bill, because this is so much more than taxes, as we talked about last week. But Robert, you found some very interesting comments from a couple of Republicans post uh, the passage last week, and again, it passed after we recorded, that is very revealing about a lot of what we've been talking about, in particular, how they one how they view people who actually need help need more opportunity but also just how this bill is going to lead to massive cuts well it's very nice of you to give me credit uh but uh <laughs> in, in fairness this is all over social media and all over the news but there are two u.s senators uh chuck grassley from iowa uh, known for converting to the idea that are death panels been around a long time yes yeah and is apparently afraid of death so he's worried about death taxes I'm not sure why he's going to be concerned about once he's dead, but be that as it may, and Orrin Hatch, who has also been around a long time. And so, you know, they're trying to say, the Republicans, uh, in, a, in, a, in a horrendous bait and switch, that this is something that's going to help average people or help the middle class or help, help everyone when it only helps large corporations and the wealthiest Americans, and their, and their idea it's going to help the economy is economically absurd. Uh, but what it's really behind it which is setting up the precondition. Well, they want to give the money away. Okay, that's true. But then that also creates the second step, which is we get to gut all these programs we don't believe in. And some of the a couple of senators, Grassley and, and Orrin Hatch, were overly revealing. So let's start. Hey, by the way, they apparently didn't get the message that they're supposed to wait until next year to start talking about this stuff. Wait until they finally <laughs> cemented this? Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. So, and by the way, uh, when I read this, let me get in all fairness to Gra just Senator Grassley. Uh, just to the west of us, he has said this was taken out of context, and <laughs> uh, the short answer seems to be that he, uh, that the, the context is he hates the state taxes because they're double taxation. So think about that when you think about whether that justifies this, quoting Senator Grassley. I think not having the estate tax recognized that people that are investing. Okay, so it's merit. People have big estates. Actually, the research shows that the big estates are mostly inherited, okay, and we're also passing it on to people who will not have earned it, right, without giving anything back. Um, investing, as opposed to those, those, who are those? Those Me. that are just spending every darn penny they have, whether it's on booze or women or movies. 
And there's so much to unpack here. Well, if you add motorcycles, it does explain <laughs> my life. So, no, I'm spending it first so on my children. the booze and the women? Uh, no, too, I'm spreading okay. it on obviously living, but hey, what's wrong with, you know, I have a, I have a, no. I'm, and I'm joking. And there's fascinating gender implications as this well to this. This is awful. It speaks a lot about who they think we are, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I know Robert is um, really tickled by this, like, brash honesty from the GOP, but this is really what it's all about, right? Uh, and, and it's really interesting because if you look at the history of the estate tax that Republicans have for the last 50 years, taking it, calling it the death tax, uh, it really was what kicked off the progressive era, right? Teddy Roosevelt, and it was something that President Roosevelt thought was antithetical to what America says it is on paper, um, that this amassing of large inheritances, and we should just like reemphasize for folks that don't already know, though I'm sure most listeners do, that the estate tax is really like five million dollars or more, I think, large inheritances, um, that it's just like antithetical and to the American dream. And they claim it's family farms, but there's like less than a couple hundred farms impacted by this, so it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Um, so that is what we were talking about, um, and this is something that should be bipartisan, that is, you know, old, that goes back to the 1920s in American history in terms of our taxes. Um, but instead, they're attacking it for their donors. And again, we should remind folks that Democrats didn't get to see this when it passed the Senate, but Republican lobbyists did, right? And that's just say a lot about who this tax bill is for. It's not for the American people. It's for the clients of those lobbyists. Um, but it, it really goes to show what Grassley thinks of the rest of America. I do disagree with one thing. It, yeah, it wasn't the twenties were the twenties were a new gilded age. So it was the aughts and the teens in the progressive you. era when Theodore Roosevelt was president. But he literally, people all go back and Google it, said literally it was un American to allow these huge fortunes to be transferred. In fact, he wanted to uh, literally not just tax them at a certain rate, he wanted to actually limit how much could be passed on and then take all of the rest and give it back to society, something that no one is proposing now, but perhaps we should be proposing. So, so obviously, these, this quote was really revealing about sort of how they view people, right, in, which drives their policy. We've got another quote, Robert, and this or is about... Or this, in this, this is actually about this, how this is going to play out in terms of defunding through the tax cuts, the actual ability to do anything that we care about to actually provide opportunity to people. And an, an elder in the LDS church, a, 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 someone who presents himself as a principled conservative, Orrin Hatch, uh, he says, I have a rough time wanting to spend billions and billions and billions of dollars to help people who want, won't help themselves, won't lift a finger, and expect the federal government to do everything. Now, you would think that this was referring to some sort of big subsidy going to people who refuse to work. It's in response to the child health insurance program. That's right. So I'm very curious about the children uh, that refuse to work and that we're spending and won't lift a finger and that we're spending billions of dollars on to, to give them health care. Rebecca, has there, has there really been a, a big uptick in the irresponsibility of, of America's children? Ah, he met my kids. Oh, my God. I cannot get them to clean their clothes. And Warren is going to hold them accountable. Well, you know, they do not deserve health care. I was actually threatening their health care the other day when he was trying to brush his teeth. It just, it wasn't working, though. <laughs> I, this is... Um what I think is important in like telling about both of these quotes, but this one in particular, is that 
uh, this is the whole game, not just now, but moving forward, right? So the first step is dramatically cutting all of these taxes and the, the input of money into the federal government um, and then into the local government because you get rid of the state and local taxes for the blue states. And it, Sorry, go ahead. In fact, Senator Hatch, just to interject briefly, yeah. uh, said earlier in the quote, we don't have money anymore. Right. Well, thanks to Senator Hatch and company, right? We don't have money anymore. So the next step will be to get rid of all of these programs. Um, and obviously a huge part of it will be what some people call welfare, but these like basic uh, programs that the federal government is supposed to be responsible for. Because they are going to a whole load of irresponsible people, even though income inequality is skyrocketing, even though most of the benefit of the last 40 years has gone to the top of the income stack, mostly the top tenth of 1%, quite frankly. But it's all these people's fault. And we're not talking, we're talking here, they want to gut, I mean, Ryan, Paul Ryan has plans for this. Uh, I, if, if anyone in the audience is imagining some generous welfare payments, you got to be cut down. We're talking about Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, which funds badger care, long-term care for people with disabilities. That's what we're talking about here. And do you think that those are, uh, that, that Medicare is about those lazy seniors who won't lift a finger? Well, this is clearly, Chip is clearly about those lazy kids <laughs> who won't get off the bed, throw down their PlayStations, right? Like, I mean, really, no, what are we, what are we talking about here? So Now, the tax Rob, plan is very unpopular, so it's a question of whether it can really be an electoral issue and people will vote on this, because there's not, no demand for this except for the top tenth of one percent. Well, that's where I wanted to transfer to before we uh, break here. And, and again, so this is past the House and Senate. This is likely to go through, but it is not done. It has, has more uh, uh, processes through conference committee. Uh, and, and so it is important that you continue to keep pressure on legislators. Continue to be talking about this, right? Robert and Rebecca are absolutely correct. This, this is not popular legislation. There's been a lot of very good work done to expose this. Like when you have the, we talked about the economists and everyone, nobody who's not directly connected to either financially benefit or a part of the Republican establishment is endorsing this. So that is the political implications as we head into 2018. And we're gonna talk more about that. Kudos to the people of this state because all of your calls to Ron Johnson, you're not gonna get his vote, but it is unsettled things. They have to sit there, there, there have been many scenes of leading Republicans in the corners having yelling matches with Ron Johnson. <laughs> so that is, that is helpful disruption to get Senator Johnson unhinged and them having to spend all this time trying to manage him. But again, right, this will be a political issue. Uh, you said Kuto. We are going to have Eric Kuto on <laughs> from Wisconsin Progress uh, in, our, in our third segment to talk more about the importance of uh, getting more folks running for office. But we got to take a break. We'll be back right after the break to focus our lenses towards our state of Wisconsin and Governor Walker policies. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi. Dot org, and this is the you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action, and before the break, we had a great conversation about the tax plan, the implications behind it. We're gonna we're gonna shift focus now and talk a little bit about here in Wisconsin and a number of the things that have been going on this week, news, and it's all related to the policies that have been implemented under, the governor, uh, under Governor Walker. And so where I want to step off with is last week, we talked about the $7 million that was going to go into an ad campaign to try to recruit millennials from Chicago to come to Milwaukee. And 
Uh, looks like Robert, Rebecca, we were not the only ones interested in this story. Uh, this got the attention of actually a lot of people, including Milwaukee aldermen and alders who were uh, obviously very upset about this. Uh, Robert, a little more detail. Well, it was suggested we might actually want to do things that would provide economic opportunity for people who actually live here already, rather than, as we said last week, trying to clean out all the bars and night spots in Lincoln Park once they hear the Walker ads about how great it is here in Wisconsin. Uh, and so a number of alders, uh, Milwaukee alder persons, have said we should invest in workforce and transportation and other things that might actually prepare people to work at, as they're call we're calling it now, the Foxconn, and then actually get to the Foxconn. And then even more kind of spectacularly, uh, when Alderman Bauman asked uh, uh, Governor Walker's Department of Administration Secretary Scott Neitzel about whether we, why we aren't investing in transportation so people can actually get to these opportunities. We could create more of them, let me just say. We all know that. I'm just not going into that now. But for the ones that are being created to some degree, uh, Mr. Neitzel responded that, uh, told him, that would be a government solution. And so there you have it, right? Alderman Bowman said, really? We just spent $3 billion in taxpayer subsidies for Foxconn, and you're saying to me this is a government solution? And by the way, the ad campaign also would seem to be paid for by the government. <laughs> so this is like another great example of the incoherence of right-wing ideology, like what we saw with Senators Hatch and Senator Grassley. Well, not only that, we've talked about this on the, on the podcast when they made this investment, right? That this is, in some ways, while it's a colossal waste of money, a huge opportunity for us. And again, this as we think about 2018, and we have talked extensively about this idea that we need Democrats and we need progressives out there running about what you would do with $3 billion to actually create opportunity with government solutions. Now that they have admitted, put on the table, that they also support this massive investment. So it, it really does expose the, the total bullshit. Yeah, and it, it says something really insidious, which is that uh, Wisconsin students and Wisconsin workers and Wisconsin residents aren't good enough for the Foxconn, um, that we aren't worthy of these jobs. It's, you know, they're Bears fans, by the way. Too. <laughs> right, there you go. No, but so, I, you know, I think it really is very um, offensive and demeaning and insidious. And there are a number of additional investments that, you know, are going to be made. One is this insane amount of money spent on advertising. Um, another is perhaps, you know, transportation to get folks to and from Chicago. You know, and, and we've talked in the past, but we'll continue to talk about investments that should be made. And one of them, local Racine residents, and we'll talk more about Racine in a second, um, have been asking for transportation options for them to get to the Foxconn. And instead, uh, it's much easier for someone from Chicago to get there than someone from Racine. And this is the group of people that killed extending the commuter line train from the Chicago-Illinois border, where it is now, up to Milwaukee, which would have been very helpful, and the high-speed train. And, it's, and Robert, Robin Voss, the speaker, single-handedly killed himself the commuter line. So we didn't do any of these things. We could have done them very cheaply, right? We could have done the, without, Walker spent more in his legal settlements and we would have taken to run the uh, high-speed train for 20 years is my understanding. Don't politifact me, I'm doing it from memory. Uh, but it's unbelievable. We're just, their idea is that it's illegitimate to give money to the Foxconn from the government. And it is the government giving mm -hmm. money to the Foxconn, but not for the government to do anything else that would actually enable opportunity for the most people. I actually, Rebecca, would like you to follow up. Let's talk about Racine County uh, and how the Foxconn and these kinds of 
let's say, turning over bags full of money have implications. Racine County is going to have to borrow, we found out, almost $80 million for the land acquisition. And last week we missed this because uh, it, it happened before we recorded. But Racine, I believe their, their, is it their bond rating went down yeah. because of the risk that Foxconn has put on them financially. And we brought up Brokaw going bankrupt, right? This is that, right? And this isn't the Legislative Fiscal Bureau, which they uh, want, to, want to ignore saying this. This is the market saying this. The bond traders are saying it's risky. That You would think that would carry some influence with the Walker crowd. So when you bring up Racine folks have been asking for mass transportation for a long time. Yeah. Here, this... They're taking on all this exposure for, to help the state, and yet we, we can't get mass trans, transportation for folks from Racine and Milwaukee. Yeah, it's almost like a hostage situation in some ways, you know, that there's like a gun to Racine's head. And so when we talk about the, you know, Foxconn support or opposition, it's usually folks within Racine support it. People outside of it are like, this is crazy. Um, but people support it because they have to support it. They're given almost no choice, but it really is like a gun to your head. Give us all your money. Um, and... It's almost as if, if, if you're from outside Racine, you would think that local folks haven't um, been clear and articulated the needs that they have. Actually, they have. There's a, a number of different ways they've done that. They obviously have elected officials. They have the business community, labor. Uh, but there's this wonderful organization called Vision in Greater Racine where hundreds of community folks have come together over the course of the past year um, in meetings online to determine what they need. And they've been talking for a long time about the need for transportation and not just the train. I mean, they've cut the second and third shift of the Racine public buses. So people who work overnight can't get to their jobs on public transit. It's one of many examples of things that folks in Racine need. I think we're being unfair, aren't we? Didn't they talk about the autonomous car lanes that would be created on the new interstate expansion we're building for them? Isn't that going to take care of the problem? Folks in Milwaukee are just going to jump, and Racine will jump on into the autonomous cars driven by robots and be delivered to the Foxconn? It's just insulting, yeah. So I want to quickly, before we have to break again, get comments on another issue and impact of Walker policy, and that is Walker's health care policy, and that Walker is now he's asking for federal funding, more money for, for his Medicaid program, right, that we know is wasteful, right? It costs more money than what we could do if we'd actually just accept Medicaid money. Robert, some more details well, on Well, it's election year, so we can see hypocrisy. He, he's written Paul Ryan asking for a chip, which we talked about, the child health insurance program to be reauthorized. Did he call Chuck Grassley to let him know he, that he, he was prob- going to Well, it was Orrin Hatch that was attacking That our slacker, chip. lazy, non-working children it, yes. were asking for yes, more health Yes, it was Orrin Hatch. To, to fair to Senator Grassley, he was defending the I'm estate sorry. tax. But Grassley anyway, the booze. And then about women and booze, yes. Who says women in booze anymore? But anyway, <laughs> be that as it may. Uh, so there's the chip thing. And then there is he's asking for the federal government to reauthorize his Medicaid expansion, which, of course, is a unique Medicaid expansion because it's the only one that like is ca- coming close to d- damaging a state financially because it's exceedingly expensive. In order to be able to say that he's not going up to the level of the Affordable Care Act, we're paying much more than we would be otherwise, and he wants to extend that. Again, I don't understand because he was for this tax plan and how they're going to fund these things like Badger Care, Governor Walker, and are you going to go before the voters and say that actually you support federal policies that would gut Badger Care and throw hundreds of thousands of people off 
off and children off their health insurance because that's what you actually stand for. So this is wonderful kind of posturing from him. And I do want to say, meanwhile, kudos to Democratic legislators that actually have dropped a real health care bill that actually would that would build up, expand wages, increase wages for nurse assistants who are, who are paid poverty wages, do critical jobs in hospitals and nursing homes. And, and actually, that's a career that's a ladder up uh, from poverty into the working class and into the middle class. It could be in the middle class if we stop paying them poverty wages. And so there's something that really would improve health care and opportunity a lot more than the Foxconn. Yeah, and from a, a economic development perspective, that is an industry as the boomers get older, um, where we are going to increase jobs. You can't outsource those jobs to China, right? Like only people here can do these jobs. So investing in that sector and making them good jobs would help put Wisconsin back on the track to what we used to be. Look, I mean, figuring out long term these kinds of jobs is absolutely critical because of what you just said. And look, folks, I know this. We're starting to get into. I wouldn't call it science fiction, but reality for us. In 10 years, 15 years, this economy is going to be very different, right, as we increasingly mechanize. We're going to have to have a decision about work and expanding conceptions of what work means. And because a lot of it's going to be service and doing things that we need done, right? And we're going to need to use our government to decide what the value of this work is. Are we going to invest in this kind of opportunity, these services, because the field of work is going to greatly change. Right. We have the greatly baby change. boom retiring. We have a huge explosion in the need for CNAs. And we have a CNA shortage because why would you go into a profession and get the training if it's going to be poverty wages? So it's a classic situation where if you have a worker shortage, this is the same with teachers, you make the, tra the, the, the uh, profession more attractive. The Republican yeah. conservative solution is to make it less attractive, especially if especially they don't like, like teaching. But, but again, this gets back to the question, if we work in the old paradigm, right, it's the Foxconn just question. We don't even question the merit of those jobs and that work. Whereas if we actually think about the merit of the work of a healthcare provider and what that does and what that contributes to society, and that we, if we invest billions of money into that, that provides those jobs, good jobs that do things that we think is of great, tremendous merit, and as Robert talked about, actually can be a pathway into other types of uh, of job uh, of higher paying jobs, but we got to also make these jobs pay. But with that, we got to get out of here. When we get back, Robert said kudo again. We're going to have Eric Kudo from Wisconsin Progress talk a little bit more about candidate recruitment. Welcome back. This is the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So last week, we had Aaron Forrest from Emerge on with us and talked extensively about recruiting candidates, women candidates, and the critical importance of that. And we're really happy this week. We, uh, er Robert was previewing before, but Eric Kudo from Wisconsin Progress has joined us to talk about the work that they do, uh, both in candidate recruitment, but also providing critical training for candidates. Eric, thanks a lot for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for so having me. So, Eric, tell our listeners more about Wisconsin Progress, particularly if they haven't heard about you, but uh, what you all do and why it's so important to what we're trying to do here in Wisconsin. Sure. Uh, Wisconsin Progress is a candidate recruitment uh, training and basically sort of all-around helper organization here in the state. Uh, what we do is we focus on working with folks who are interested in running full local office 
so county board, city council, school board, all the way up until the up, up until the state senate. And what we try to do is we focus on obviously folks who are progressive, given our name, but uh, folks who you know may not uh, otherwise run for office. You know, folks who don't think that they have the skills to run for county board or for state assembly. And what, what we'll do is we'll go in. We will work with folks on the ground in communities literally throughout the state. So uh, we are everywhere from basically Ashland along Lake Superior down to Kenosha along the Illinois border and then Platteville over to Green Bay. So we cover the absolute entire part of the state and have done so since 2009. Uh, To date, we have recruited uh, well over probably five to six hundred candidates and have trained over a thousand people to run for local office um, and are in the midst of doing that right now with uh, a number of trainings that we're doing around the state. So, you know, we're a, we're a state organization. There isn't another one like us anywhere in the country except for North Carolina. Um, and we're dedicated to really finding the best progressive candidates to run up and down the ballot throughout Wisconsin. Um, so, Eric, it's Rebecca. So, hi. So, uh, we at the Wisconsin Working Families Party work very closely with Wisconsin Progress and uh, get a lot, a great deal out of that. Um, it's very helpful to us and, and our efforts. And uh, I don't think we could do the work we do without the work that you guys do. I know you also work really closely with uh, Citizen Action, including Citizen Action folks across the state. Um, and I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about. Um, how you go about some of your recruitment. And uh, in case there are people listening to the podcast who maybe are part of, um, you know, a local political organization or community organization or citizen action um, who might have good ideas of people who could run for seats or might they themselves be interested in running, you know, how, how can we connect those folks to you? Sure. So we start um, all of our recruitment efforts basically from the ground up. So we learned a long time ago that you can't do top to bottom politics in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, So we have what we call recruitment committees. And these are groups of citizens, uh, certainly some folks from Citizen Action, probably some folks from WFP, uh, folks from labor, just regular activists, you know, on the ground throughout the entire state. Right now we're in 32 out of 72 counties. And these are folks on the ground that we're having conversations with about their local elected officials. You know, you go in and you say, how is your county board? Are they responsive to the citizens in your county? Are they doing the things that you want them to do? Um, And you really have those conversations. You have the very basic, basic conversations about uh, not just their responsiveness, but also, you know, are they um, are they moving the agenda forward? Are they helping? know the citizens of wisconsin and so you know we go in and we have those conversations we put those groups together a lot of times i think people uh, think that these are some high level political conversations and they are but they're the political conversations that you have with your everyday friends with folks that you are allied with on your issues and so everyone is welcome it's open to you know, someone with a ton of political experience and absolutely no political experience. I've yet to run across a terrible idea. Um, some work, some don't. But really it's about getting folks engaged on the ground. Um, and I know that we obviously have had members of any number of organizations participate. Everyone, you know, sometimes has their, or a lot of people sometimes have their own agenda. 
you know, they want to focus on healthcare, they want to focus on jobs or whatever, but it's really about sort of a holistic approach to recruiting candidates and getting folks on the ground engaged in their local politics. And then we use those folks uh, that have been engaged on the ground and folks that have run to really run them for higher office. You know, uh, if you're a great county board member, if you're a great city council member, you're probably going to be a great member of the state assembly or a great member of the state senate or one day perhaps a great member of Congress. So, you know, it's, it's about starting the bench. It's about starting the pipeline uh, of great people, getting them engaged, getting them engaged around the right issues that make sense in their, in their local municipalities, and then training them, you know, so that they run efficient, smart, successful campaigns. So, Eric, follow up on that. If, if sure. someone were to, you know, sign up, what are the different kinds of programs you have? Because I know it's not one size fits all. You have a, a couple of different ones. And then if you could, we've got an election coming up sure. uh, in spring. And some there may be folks out there who are already starting to collect nomination papers for a local office, but have virtually no training. Is there time? Is, could, could you help them uh, while they're getting their campaigns off the ground? Talk more about uh, what, what you offer. Sure. So basically the trainings that we're offering right now, uh, there's three levels. So the first level of training is what we call getting ready to run. And this is the, should I be doing this training? Is this the right time of my life um, to run for local office? You know, it's not as difficult as running for state assembly or state senate, but there certainly is a level of dedication that you need to have. You know, it's a lot of weekends uh, knocking on doors and talking to citizens. It's a lot of time at night. Uh, doing the same thing. And so the, the first level is getting ready to run. What does it really mean to run for local office? And what should I expect when I get there? You know, everyone thinks that you have to be sort of these experts, in all these policy areas. And frankly, that's just not the case. There are experts that work for these local municipalities or these counties that can help you once you get there. You're really just there to represent the citizens. Um, and so the first one is getting ready to run. And that's one that we did earlier this year. Uh, all around the state, we did a, a number of trainings uh, that were very, very successful. We had over 100 people attend, uh, and we were very happy with that. The follow-up training to getting ready to run is the advanced local election training. And that's the training that we're in right now. Pardon me. And that training is really about where the you know the rubber meets the road. Uh, okay, we taught you that in order to win, you, you're going to need to knock on doors. But now we're going to teach you what that really means. What does knocking on a door feel like? What does knocking on the door look like? How do you hone your message? How do you learn to raise money? Uh, a lot of these races don't cost a lot of money. You know, we're not talking about tens of thousands of dollars. In fact, around most of the state, you probably could run a very successful race for $2,000, um, $3,000. But how do you get there? You know, how do you make those hard asks? You know, no one is born knowing how to raise money. No one is born knowing how to knock on a stranger's door and talk about how great they are, um, those are skills that have to be learned and honed and practiced. And those are the things that we're teaching right now throughout the state. Uh, the next one coming up will be December 16th. We're doing it at REA, uh, Racine Educators. Um, and it's an all-day training, and you're absolutely, like, everyone's welcome, right? If you're running, if you've already started doing your nomination papers, if you've already handed in your nomination papers, there's still plenty of time to go in and learn new skills. Uh, and all these skills are applicable to the, the seats that you would be running for right now. So county boards, city councils, village boards, what have you. Uh, so we'd love to have you. You should absolutely come down. Um, 
The final training would be the legislative training. And these are quite a bit more intense, multi-day, you know, you're running for the state assembly or the state senate. This is what you should expect. This is what your life is going to be like. Uh, you know, taking the skills that you've learned in the advanced local election training and sort of applying them in a larger scale. Um, and we do those in conjunction with a number of other partners. But really, you know, there's there's not a one-size-fits-all for us. Uh, if you're not running for the legislature and you only want to run for county board, fantastic. Only go to the local elected training. You know, if you're running for the state legislature and you're not running for the county board or you never have, go to the state legislative training. So, you know, we try to tailor it um, to the to the level of office that folks are running for while also, you know, having them understand that these skills are scalable. That once you learn how to knock on a door, you pretty much know how to knock on a door. So, so, so Eric, want to let our listeners know there are trainings throughout the state on the 16th if you're running for local office and you haven't been trained, you ought to, you ought to go on the website right now and go sign up for these trainings uh, a week from Saturday. Uh, Eric, where, what's the website they should go to to sign up? It's wisconsinprogress.org. And there's a training tab. Click on the training tab. And then, obviously, uh, the one in Racine on the 16th. But they go into early next year. And these trainings are literally located throughout the entire state. Uh, We don't do it out of Milwaukee. We don't do it out of Madison. We want to be out where the people are. And we want to make sure that folks are comfortable having these trainings in their own communities. Well, Eric, thanks so much for joining us. And thanks for the work you all do. And we really truly want to encourage folks uh don't run for office uh without any training Th- thanks a lot eric all right, all right gr- thank you thank you folks all right great and with that we got to get out of here we'll be right back at the battleground wisconsin welcome back to the battleground wisconsin we are citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org i want to thank eric kudo for joining us in the previous segment and again we really want to encourage folks If you are running for office and you have not been trained, you really should go to one of those trainings so that you can be as efficient and smart as possible and hopefully win. But uh, we got to change topics. We want to move to something uh, very serious, um, and that is uh, our system of mass incarceration in, in, in this country and in this state. We've talked a bit about it before. We've talked about a number of the disparities Uh, Racial disparities in terms of incarceration rates, our high level of incarceration rates. Um, And wanted to highlight a story that was done this week um, here in Milwaukee around uh, Lincoln Hills and uh, a lot of the news around uh, what's been going on there. And Judge Joe Donald here in Milwaukee, who did an interview where he really pushed back against Chief Flynn and other folks who are calling for harsher, tougher penalties for youth uh, who are, you know, committing crimes or doing things like stealing cars. Uh, We've had a lot of high-profile chases and things like this. And Joe Donald really pushed back against this and said, this is the wrong approach. There's no facts. It's It's not making us safer. We actually ought to close Lincoln Hills, and we ought to bring people closer. So I wanted uh, to get both of your thoughts on this. Um, we'll st- I don't, Robert, if you want to go first, but just I think this was a re- really important because we need more leaders to stand up when we have this sort of just lock them up, throw away the key kind of narrative. Robert? No, absolutely. It is not making us safer at all. We have 
25% of the people in, in prisons, in, incarcerated in the world for less than 5% of the population. This is all built up since the 1960s um, and 70s. So this is very abnormal, out of proportion to any other country, quite frankly. And so in this idea that we just need to throw the book more at young people and that's going to make it better, notice how it hasn't made it better, right? Notice how spending immense amounts of money on mass incarceration is making it worse. Uh, just be aware of that. But, you know, people who really think about this issue, and they're, they're, the scams at Lincoln Hills stand for themselves, right? These are not uh, facilities that, that help rehabilitate or, or get a kid who might be on the wrong path to get on the right path. It's quite the contrary, right? And they're actually abused and traumatized uh, but, or, and have that risk. So experts who look at this, people like in the public defender's office that's looked at this very closely, think that we should actually treat uh, the initial incidents when a, when a young person first starts getting involved in the criminal justice system as a public health crisis and have immediate intervention and find out what is going wrong with that family uh, and, 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 and figure it out and address it right away. And that means investing the money there rather than simply in this crime and punishment mentality, right? So you've seen, for example, when there have been uh, major crimes of the kind that are in the news, the television news goes crazy about and hypes up, oh, right? I love the car chases. That they go back and say that this 19-year-old this and this 18-year-old had these records, and why are they on the street? Well, they had these records. What that means is, is that we had multiple interactions. We knew that, there were, that, 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 they, that the kid was troubled, and we didn't do anything other than maybe some of the Lincoln Hills, maybe punish them in some way, and then it got worse and worse and worse. So that's not good public safety in the least. And I got to say, we took a lot of flack in the Supreme Court primary, Citizen Action did, when we endorsed Joe Donald, but his statements on this in front of the media really reaffirmed that's something we saw as a huge difference. He was the one Supreme Court caddy who was willing to speak out on these issues, which is one of the, which is the new Jim Crow. And so mm -hmm. I just want to applaud uh, uh, Judge Donald for speaking out on this. Yeah, I mean, I can't agree more with everything you just said. I think the argument um, made by the police that uh, putting children in cages at a higher rate makes us safer has clearly um, not been demonstrated to be true by the data that we've seen. I mean, the recidivism rate at Lincoln Hills far outpaces the recidivism rate of juveniles in neighboring states. So we should ask why that is. Um, and then to your point on trauma, I mean, this is an expression of personal trauma, of community trauma. Putting children in cages just exacerbates that trauma, not just for the child, but for their family, for their block, for their community, for their classmates. And so, you know, we really need to start talking about it in those terms. And I agree, you know, moving our investments from incarceration to education, to public health, um, to mental health, to all of these things is critical. And that all seems really abstract when we talk about it in general terms, but there are concrete things we can do, including what we're talking about now of closing Lincoln Hills that would help move us in that direction. And we don't want to skip over the economic element of this. I mean, the Foxconn is an example of us not uh, being unwilling to take $3 billion could be invested in creating real economic opportunity for people who need it in zip codes that have incredibly high incarceration rates and poverty rates and not treating it as a crisis. Now, we know that creating economic opportunity will take time, so we also, as we're talking about, need to address the kids who are in trouble right now right away, but in a way that actually helps them. 
So this idea that uh, we're, that we're just going to build up a record, we're just going to have a series of, of, of very uh, unproductive interactions, and then we're going to go and traumatize them by saying someplace like in Hills, that that creates anything is ridiculous. But we also, so we need to treat each kid, but then we need to change the underlying social conditions and be committed to that and actually have goals, real big goals for structural reform that we are holding ourselves to as a society. And none of that's happening. Yeah, and when when I, I mean, anecdotally, when I tell people from other states about what's happening at Lincoln Hills, they don't believe me. Um, And what we've seen are high-level people have been let go. Other folks who work there have been let go. We've seen, like, extreme action taken by the inmates um, and then extreme responses over and over again. I mean, it's such a crisis of mismanagement. It is such an inhumane place for everybody there. For everybody, including the public employees who are there who who aren't able to do a good job. There are many public employees that want to do a good job, but they're put in this impossible situation Shut it down. Shut it down. You know, I mean, this is like one of the many cases that we've seen across the country where folks are waking up and saying, listen, like the only humane and like responsible solution is to shut this place down and try to do something differently. So this connects back to what I brought up earlier when I was talking about the kind of jobs we're gonna have going forward in the future and thinking about really about services and things we need and are we willing to invest in those? And Robert, you brought up and Rebecca, you guys were mentioning, of course the public employees that work in these institutions, it's a horrible situation. If we were to have smaller institutions, more responsive institutions that were closer to home, that actually had connections to family, and were actually talking about the broader connections we need early on the interventions, before right? Before, even before even you end up here, but like even if they end in an institutions, if the institutions are better thought out to actually have that reconnection, which is what Joe is talking about here. Um, we're going to get better outcomes. And by the way, that does require an investment of money. And we have to make the decision that we think that that is a public good to do early interventions to fundamentally change what we're doing around mass incarceration, to save uh, uh, generations of kids, right? Because uh, the approach we're doing is not working. We at least need to just uh, call that out without saying everybody who's involved in that system is an awful person but just saying the system is failing us. And, and we need to put the public investment. Which means in. we need to change the system. Yes. Systemic solutions. Yeah, and it's like I was saying during the break um, about Governor Walker, but if he were the CEO of a company, he would be out of a job. The board of directors, the shareholders would demand that he be out of the job. And, you know, even the Foxconn, you think, especially the but like (laughs) this as well. Right. What extreme mismanagement and incompetence. And uh, it's just is like so extreme. It's remarkable that he is allowed to still be governor. Well, we are going to continue to track this issue. And again, um, I want to echo Robert's comments, uh, you know, shout out to to Judge Joe Donald and other folks, right? Joe's not alone, but like we wanted to call him out because he's a critical, important person. He is a judge. We need people in our criminal justice system to start leading like this. And, you know, um, so we wanted to call attention to that. And we, the broader public, have got to stop identifying, locking people up, putting them away, not really thinking about it as making us safer. That is our fundamental problem. We, we believe that we're safer by putting people away. And as long as we do, we, wanna, we won't tackle this. And by us. one little quick interjection on an earlier topic, there's breaking news that reaffirms everything uh, Rebecca was saying in the earlier segment. Uh, Paul Ryan just said on a conservative talk show that in 2018, they'll be targeting welfare, Medicare, and Medicaid spending. There you go. So there you have it. There you go. So there's the two-step. Yep. Get, rid of the, we know, get rid of the money, then go after what they really hate. 
So we're, we'll, we'll continue to talk about this uh, more on future podcasts. But before we go, I want to uh, remind all of our podcast listeners that we have our annual holiday assembly this Saturday in Milwaukee and want to encourage you to come and attend. It starts at 11 o'clock. It is uh, at uh, SEIU or the Labor Council, whatever you want to call it. It's at uh, in the old Yachik Hall in uh, off of Holly Road. 633 South Holly Road. Thank you for the address there, Robert. And really want to encourage you to come by. Uh, you could show up as early as 1030. Doors will open. Uh, but it starts at 11 uh, and it goes till 2. Uh, and uh, Congresswoman Gwen Moore will be speaking, among others. So really want to encourage you to come on by uh, and, uh, and uh, celebrate with us and organize and start planning. So with that, we want to thank our guest, Eric Kuda from Wisconsin Progress, for joining us this week. And again, encourage people, if you're running for office, please. Uh, they have trainings next week. They've got trainings going on. You need to sign on up. And uh, as always, want to thank Brian Woldridge, our producer, who makes it happen every week. With that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.